You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, let me just introduce myself. My name's Tim. I'm on the eldership team here. If you're here for the first time, you're so very welcome. We'd love to uh, say hello to you. Please do go to the welcome area after the service and say hello in person. We can answer any of your questions and uh, we'd love to uh, see how you found the morning and say hello. Well, it was supposed to be my dad speaking today, um, but he had to have an operation a few months ago, and unfortunately, it's not a big operation, not a scary one, but it, the, the uh, recovery rate was slowed down by he had an infection. So um, he's, the infection's gone now, but he's still not quite up to speed. So he wasn't able to come, um, but uh, as the Bible says, one greater has come. Um, the, he, we haven't got him here, but we have got about 70 of his books here, his latest book. Uh, it's a little kind of booklet, really. It's one message on uh, the wedding at Cana, and it's called Life Tastes Better, The Surprising Truth About What Jesus Offers. And uh, we've got plenty of these. They're one pound each, and we'll have them available next week. We just thought we'd give you a heads, heads up. I could, if you're desperate, or if you think, I've got a pound today and I'll probably forget it next week, then uh, you're welcome to grab me and I'll get one from the office. But there will be a stool next week. So you can't hear him in person, but you can grab this new book of his. Before I set off in our our series, I just wanted to share something with you from my heart, really. Um, As an eldership team, we've got a passion to see this church grow in number. We want to see thousands, really, know Jesus in this town. We want to see everyone know Jesus. Um, But Ephesians 4 points us to this. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we want a big church in number, but really we also yearn for mature and strong people standing in the measure and the stature, the fullness of Christ. It goes on to say, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There's all sorts of other options out there, and we want to be an eldership team who say, Trust in Jesus, grow strong, don't be blown around by everything. And maybe you recognize even lately you've been blown around a lot because you haven't been rooted in Jesus. The reason I bring that up is, one, partly because it's hot today. And this would be an easy moment to kind of switch off a bit. Maybe get your phone out. And I just want to encourage you, uh, don't do that. Don't go passive. It can't be a time for us to go passive. It can't be a time to wait for entertainment from the preacher. Rather, it's a time where we seek to see who Christ is and what he has done for me and what he is asking of me. And Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So that's what we're doing. We're growing in faith together so that we might be strong. I'd love us to be a strong church in Ipswich. Okay, that means not walking away and saying, didn't he do well today? Or I preferred it last week. 
but just saying, God, what have you got for me today? So we're going to move on to our Go series, which uh, we've been going through. Coming, This is the penultimate message. We've got the last one next week. And uh, we've been looking at going uh, because as an eldership, we felt we wanted to encourage the church to be mobilized, to be stirred into action, that we're not a passive church, that we don't sit and twiddle our thumbs, but that we go and do the works that Jesus has stored up for us. And we've talked about going to make disciples, going to the broken, going intentionally, going to heal the sick, going to practice hospitality. And last week we looked at going to the nations. And today I want to look at go run the race. So we're going to read from Hebrews 12, just the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we just thank you for a time of worship that you inhabit our praise, that you are lifted up in our praise and you're with us as we praise you. We thank you for your glorious ways, your faithfulness. And Lord, as we look at these witnesses, let them bear witness to us. Let them testify to us that our faith would be raised. I pray deposit faith in us this morning. Let us grow more and more into mature manhood and womanhood as we trust in Jesus. Give us soft hearts and ears to hear. And just as our eyes are closed, I encourage you just to pray a 10-second prayer. Say, God, speak to me this morning. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at this, uh, these two verses in three sections. First of all, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, well, if you've ever heard a Bible teacher before, you probably recognize the phrase, if you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's there for. So, it wasn't supposed to be a joke, but okay. Uh, um, so he's saying therefore, he's saying in light of this, in light of this, in view of this, in view of what, in light of what? Well, since, which is because, again, because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So we need to look, what is he talking about? What cloud of witnesses is he talking about? What are they witness to? And uh, I'm good enough at maths to know that Hebrews 12 would be following on from Hebrews 11. So we go back to Hebrews 11 to see... This biblical exploration, really, a study, an explanation of faith. Hebrews 11 is the famous chapter in the Bible that is a study on faith. So I'm going to read a few Hebrews 11 excerpts, and we're going to look at this cloud of witnesses that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. We're going to look at, starting in verse 6, it says this, And without faith, it's impossible to please him, that's God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, 
in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, I'm not going to stop on every story as we go through, but this one we'll just give a few seconds to because I want you to just think it through. Noah is a man who lives 500 miles away from any sea or ocean in the desert. And God has spoken to him and warned him concerning events yet unseen. There's no rain in the sky. There's no flood impending. And he said, I want you to build an ark that is about a thousand times too big for his own family. I mean, that's faith. To think, okay. <laughs> to say, yes. I believe your word. There's, there's, there's plenty of reasons that are in my face to think, what on earth? No way. But he has spoken to me. And not only does he start to construct the ark, but the Bible says earlier in Genesis that he was mocked, that, that, that people scorned him, and he continued to build the ark. It would have taken, I wonder, decades. It would have taken years and years and years to get the resources together, to build the ark with the, the, without the, the high-tech uh, things that we have today. And he chose by... uh, obeying God's warning. In reverent fear, he moved into action. It's quite a stunning idea, isn't it? Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, I love that, uh, I wouldn't think I'd write a birthday card to my dad. You know, my dad, you're as good as dead now. You know, it, the Bible just says it. Him as good as dead, he's very old, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So Abraham didn't see the thousands and thousands of descendants, but he still moved in faith. They died having before, before having seen the promises. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Again, it's a stunning picture of of somebody in the most uh, uh, 
civilized civilization in history so far. The Egyptian civilization is so incredibly ahead of its time. And uh, he would have been in the palace having pretty much anything he wanted. And yet, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to follow God, choosing rather to obey, and in so being mistreated with the people of God. Rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, yes, there are pleasures in sin, but he was aware these are fleeting. I'm going for something that is solid. He considered the reproach of Christ greater. That doesn't mean that Christ was cross with him. It means he considered entering into the rejection that Christ entered into. It means that he would consider it worth following Christ, even though he would have been scorned and rejected by people. But that's greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And finally, just a few verses from 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I love this. Of whom the world was not worthy. That's how God thinks of people who follow him to such degrees. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So that is our picture from Hebrews 11. And if we're not careful, we can fall into a bit of a trap because there's a bit of a problem. The problem can be that when we look on Hebrews 11 and the examples, uh, we can think of them as otherworldly. Well, these are obviously superhuman people, right? They are unreal, we think, but they weren't. They were people like us. If we think of it like that, Hebrews 11 becomes a museum. We think, we look on, wow, look, look at them, look at them. But we don't share in it. We don't share in the experience. But the whole point of this, where he says, but we are surrounded. It's not, but we see from afar this cloud of witnesses, but we are surrounded. Because he's saying, we're on the same journey as them. We're part of the same family. What's theirs is yours. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. They're on the same team, part of the same family. Our faith is in the same God that their faith was in. We might think of Elijah, who's actually not named in Hebrews 11, but who did incredible things by the power of God in faith. And James says of Elijah, he was a man just like us. Just like you. They weren't superhuman. They weren't even very mighty. So what is the principle of their faith that made it stand out so much? 
What, what made their faith so special? What were they witness to? Okay, they're a cloud of witnesses. What are they witness to? What are they testifying? I want to know the principle, don't you? The principle of their faith was that they believed their God. They believed their God. They believed him to be faithful. That he was who he said he was. And they believed that he would do what he said he would do. And since their God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he's made himself available to us. We can expect to share the same faith. And do the same things as them. They were real men and women. But they served a real God. The living God. And this God wants to know men and women as intimately and as familiarly today as he did then. Sometimes we might hear the phrase, seeing is believing. But as we've just seen in Hebrews, that is not the biblical definition of belief and faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. R.T. Kendall says this in his book, Believe in God. He says, God hides his face in order that we might believe. He withholds the evidence of things visible that we might be persuaded of his word alone. There are actually times in which faith is eclipsed by such a sense of the majesty and glory of God that one is temporarily without the need of faith. These times are mountaintop experiences. As our Lord was transfigured before his disciples... But one is not permitted to live indefinitely on the mountaintops. Like the disciples who came down from the mountain, so must we. Valleys are the stuff of life. And it is in the valley that we live by the faithfulness of God. Who shows himself at intervals so that we will not be swallowed up in despair. God has called us to be living in faith by trusting in his faithfulness. By trusting in what we do not see. And uh, putting our weight on it. Trusting it to the extent where we do things. Where we act on it. Faith is also not something you're born with. Have you heard someone say, I wish I had your faith. A bit like, I wish I had your lovely blue eyes. I wasn't born with faith. I'm trusting in something. I'm actively trusting in God and believing in him. All these people that we read about in, in Hebrews 11, they are actively trusting in and doing things on the back of it. And uh, a few weeks ago, Tom mentioned about about God TV and and, and the prosperity teaching. And we just need to be aware that uh, these things can sometimes tell us your faith, if you believe in God, if you believe in uh, a certain way, that will get you your miracle. But that's not what we see here in Hebrews. In fact, it says that these men died in faith, trusting God, holding on to God, not seeing the reward, some of them. Not seeing the promise fulfilled, but living for a greater reward. Not saying, I want wealth, health and prosperity now, but saying, I want him and I trust in him. Faith is not trusting God will give you amazing and prosperous circumstances. It's trusting God's promise that he is with you whatever the circumstances. I noticed that in the, I'm sure you probably noticed it as well, in Hebrews 11, it said, by faith, some people were sawn in two. Doesn't sound very God TV, does it? If you trust God, you can get sawn in two. Now we trust him because he is worthy. 
not because of the stuff that we thought we might get. Let's look at some of the things that Hebrews 11 says that we get, sorry, that we can do in faith, that we can do in faith. What does faith look like? What does faith do? Faith anticipates God's goodness. I wonder if your faith anticipates God to be faithful, to be good. Did you come to church this morning anticipating God will be good? I'm looking forward to it this morning. God's good. I want to get with the people of God. I'm anticipating his favor and his goodness. It says of one of them, for he was looking, well, many of them, for they were looking forward to a greater reward. They were anticipating God's goodness. Faith moves into action. Noah built an ark. Abraham went. Moses left. They did things in faith. Does your faith cause you to action? In fact, James would say, if your faith is without action, it's not faith. So these people show us they acted in faith. Faith also receives God's goodness. Sarah received power by faith. Did you know you can receive by faith? You might think, I just want to receive some evidence of God loving me and saying I'm okay and good enough. Would you know you can do that by faith because he said it? I can receive by faith. It denies itself of lesser glory. Faith denies itself. As we said, Moses refused the riches of Egypt and the prestige of Egypt. Faith says, no, that's a lesser glory. I'm holding out for the greatest glory. And faith obeys. Abraham obeyed. They all obeyed and went. In faith, are you obedient? Even when you think, I'm I'm scared, but I know he's faithful. This isn't my preference, but I know he's sovereign. He knows better than I do. I know his way is better than mine. In faith, we obey. Faith waits patiently and endures. Moses left Egypt and he was out for years before God called him to go back. And as we said, Noah building the ark would have taken years, but God has spoken. Are you able to be patient in your faith? Do you endure in faith? Maybe there's something at the moment you just think, this is such hard work. And perhaps the answer is, well done. Keep enduring, keep going in faith. He is faithful. Faith lets go of fear and anxiety and trusts that God is good and he knows what he is doing. It said Moses went without fear of, without fear of the king who I think many of us, most of us, all of us would be terrified of. But Moses, without fear, trusted God. If you are somebody who's caught up in fear and anxiety, always anxious, then you can actually relax And trust God is good and he knows what he is doing. And then we had this list at the end. Faith conquers kingdoms. Faith enforces justice. Faith obtains promises. Expects them to be true and holds on until it sees them. Faith stops the mouths of lions. That might sound strange, but you could think of how you could interpret that. There are things in your life that you just know, this is something I feel could devour me, but in faith I'm going to stand against it. Faith quenches the power of fire. It escapes the edge of the sword. It makes people strong out of weakness. As we heard Hannah saying earlier on, made strong in weakness because of his grace, and I'm trusting in his grace. It makes people mighty in war. It takes on the shame of the world 
by faith I can take on ridicule and shame from the world knowing I'm holding out. I'm holding out because I'm trusting in his word. It takes on suffering and it, takes, it lives as a sojourner, as a traveler, knowing I'm not actually a citizen of this world. By faith, my home is in heaven. I'm holding out for a better home. So the witnesses that we have read about, they bear witness that God is faithful to his word and to his character, to do what he says he will do and be who he says he will be. And then what does it say doing? It says, therefore, therefore, yeah, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us do the same. If we're surrounded by these witnesses saying, he is faithful. I trusted in him and he was faithful. I did what he called me to do and it was extraordinary. Look at, look at the descendants. Look at, the, look at the, the grace that was poured upon my life. Look at his faithfulness. If we're surrounded by them, let's do the same. They're calling us to do the same. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Let's not attempt to run a race encumbered and tangled up and weighed down by unbelief, which is really the root of all sin. Unbelief is the, is the root, right back from Adam and Eve to, to now. Adam and Eve at the, at the garden, Satan comes and says, did God really say? And suddenly they think, yeah, did, did God really say? Is he, is he trustworthy? You know what, I'll decide because I can't trust him. And that's the, that's the root of sin for all of us. I will decide because I cannot trust his word or his character. And the results are pain, destruction, foolishness. But let us run the race, throwing aside every weight that holds us back with endurance. You notice it doesn't just say, now endure the race. You know, just sit there because you're a Christian now, so just live a life of being slapped around and just, you know, endure it. No, it says, run the race with endurance. You've got to move forward. Keep growing into mature manhood, into mature maturity in God. Not just enduring, but running, believing, and keeping on believing. When it gets difficult, I will trust. I will believe. It is written. He has said, keep moving forward and run with endurance. And then lastly with... uh, Uh, Verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, there is this cloud of witnesses, but then it goes on to say there is a greater witness than all of them. He's not just an inspiring witness, though. He's not just an inspiration. He is more than that. He is the end of all the promises. He is the prize that we run for. He is the assurance. He is the saviour. And you might think, so I run the race and I, and I, and I get him as the prize. Is that, is that it? And I would say to you, if that's what you think, you've gravely misunderstood who he is. If you ever think, is that it about Jesus? You haven't met him. You don't know him. I love this story in, uh, in 1 Samuel 5, I think it is, where the, 
that the presence of God is being carried around in the Ark of the Covenant. His, his, his presence, he's chosen by grace to, to be with his people, but it has been stolen by the Philistines. And they don't know what to do with it. They take it and they put it in uh, the temple with one of their feeble man-made gods, made out of wood and metal. And in the morning they come and they find their man-made God is face down before the presence of the living God. I love that. They think, oh dear, he's fallen over. They pick him up and they go away and they come back the next day or later on and they find he's fallen face down and this time his head's cut off and his hands are cut off. Because there's no other God like our God. That's the thing we can't say, is that it? I get God. There's no God like our God. Moses, he, he says God, he has amazing intimacy with God, face-to-face encounters. And he says, God, let me see your glory. God probably laughed. You don't know what you're asking. If you saw me, you would die. But God, I want to see your glory. So he says, okay, look, position yourself in a certain way. I'll pass by quickly. You can look at my back. And, and Moses sees him, and he comes down the mountain, and he's shining with the glory of God. How could we ever say, is that it? Oh, wow. He is the one who's saying, I'll be yours. You'll be mine. Run the race. Intimacy with you. It's what we're made for. If you come to church for anything else, you're missing the point. If you come to church because you've got good friends here, that's lovely. Or because you like the music. Or because people are really friendly, that's great. But if you're, if you're not here for God, you're missing out. You've misunderstood. In fact, you, if you live a life for any other reason, then you've misunderstood what life is for. Life is made so that we would be in relationship with the Father, worshipping him. And because of our rejection of him, we haven't got that relationship. But in his mercy and grace, he has made a way for us. It's unbelievable. We reject him. Little pathetic, snivelly little things. Going, oh, you're not good enough for me. The God of the universe. And in his mercy and grace, he says, I will make a way for you. What on earth is this? This is the God of heaven. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees uh, the Lord. He sees a vision. He says, "In, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And it says... The, the, the seraphim flew over to him. And this is not an angel like you see on the cards, a little fat angel with little wings and a nappy on. This is a terrifying thing. If you saw it, you would poo yourself. This is an incredible beast that has six wings. And with two of them before the throne of God, it covers its eyes. And with two, it covers its feet. And with two, it flies. And it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the God of heaven, surrounded. And Isaiah, who is the mouthpiece of God, he is a, he's, a, he's a prophet who speaks for God. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Aren't you the mouthpiece of God? Yes, but before him, before him, I am unclean. And then later on, Revelation, we've heard some of it this morning. In Revelation 1, John is writing, and he sees this vision of Jesus, the glorified Jesus on high. And John is the one who is Jesus' buddy. He's his close friend. John is quite cheeky, and when he refers to himself in his gospel, he says, the, the disciple Jesus loved. 
because they've got this bond. They've got this relationship. He, he rests his head on Jesus' chest. But when he sees Jesus in glory in Revelation 1, he sees Jesus with his eyes like wool. Sorry, with his hair like wool. With his eyes like flames of fire. With his feet like bronze. And he falls down as if dead. And Jesus says, behold, I have the keys to heaven and hell. I was dead and now I'm alive. Revelation 5 is what Hannah read to us. Where this myriad of angels, thousands upon thousands, are surrounding the throne. Numbers you wouldn't be able to comprehend. And... uh, and it's thousands of years later, after, after we know the story from Isaiah, and still the throne is uh, surrounded by angels saying, Holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And in Revelation 19, 11, John sees Jesus again, ready to come back in glory. And he's on a white horse. And it says, and he is called Faithful. And true, and out of his mouth comes a sword, and he will rule the nations with an iron rod. And on his leg it is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the God we're looking at. And when it says, uh, when we, we, we sometimes think, what well, is that it? Is that what I'm going for? We, we completely un, uh, underestimate this is what life is. This is it's all about. It's all about him. It's all for him. And he's made a way for us to have peace with him. But not just peace, but familial relationship, love and kindness, that we'd be called sons and daughters, that we'd be called heirs with Christ, that we'd be welcomed in to his presence. David says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, he is the ultimate example of believing the Father. He did it perfectly for the joy set before him of honouring the Father. For the prize before him. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I could go through that list I went through earlier again and see how he displays all of those things. He anticipated God's goodness. Jesus lived knowing God will be faithful. God will be true to his word. God will be true to his character. He moved into action He wasn't a man of faith theoretically. He moved in faith. He received God's goodness. He denied himself of lesser glories. He obeyed. He rested secure in the Father. He waited patiently and endured lovingly. He rejected fear and anxiety and trusted that God was good and knew what he was doing. Jesus conquered the kingdom of darkness. Jesus enforces justice. Jesus obtains promises. Jesus' work of faith stopped the mouth of a lion. A mouth that would have devoured you in judgment for sin. Jesus, in faith, quenched the power of fire by taking on your sin. He has quenched the wrath of God on your behalf. He has made an escape for you from the edge of the sword, defeating death, and has given you eternal life if you follow him. Jesus has made people strong out of weakness. You are completely at his mercy, and in mercy, he has made you strong in himself. Jesus makes people mighty in war, 
calling you to battle and advancing the kingdom. Jesus took on the shame of the world. He was mocked and scoffed and even scoffed at in perfect innocence. Jesus took on the suffering for the joy set before him and he lived as a traveler, knowing I'm not of this world. And he was raised to glory and is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. He's not just an example. He is the object of our faith. He is the one we look to. We put our faith in him because he is the only one worthy of our surrender and complete allegiance. And lastly, I just want to bring your attention. I think I believe there's one more witness to be aware of. I want you to think a hundred years ahead. Where will you be? Maybe 50 years, maybe 20 years, maybe tomorrow. If you're a believer in Christ and you die, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says later on in chapter 12. He says this, You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of, new, of a new covenant. When we die, we'll be in glory with the host of heaven, myriads of angels and heavenly hosts, in the presence of the Almighty, the fullness of joy, the fullness of glory, his love absolutely overwhelming. The host of heaven and the pure assurance, everything you've, you've doubted, I'm not quite sure about this. Is he who he says he was? Is he like what he said he's like? All of that totally gone. It's crystal clear. He is completely faithful. He is who he says he is. And I'm standing in his presence. It's unlike anything you can imagine. And I want to ask you this question. On that day, if you could look back at yourself in your seat today, what would you say to yourself? What would you be saying? I think I might be saying, run. Run the race. He is king. He's faithful. He is all in all. Run. He holds everything. He is mighty. There is so much more for you. So much more. He is true. It's all true in him. Love him. Trust him. Do what he says. He is with you. The thought of being in the presence of heaven and looking back is, is crazy to think of the lack of faith that we would see and, and the limits that we put on God. We didn't, definitely wouldn't look at each other or look at ourselves and say, hey, hold on to that bitterness. Hey, take whatever you can in this life. Get more money. Hey, keep worrying about that thing. Focus on yourself more. Hey, keep every bit of control you can. Hey, love, find love in whatever feels nice, no matter how short-term it is. Hey, doubt God, doubt his love. Think about impressing him more. Think about upsetting him more. No, we wouldn't say any of that stuff. We would be completely assured of his faithfulness, his grace and mercy. We would be standing there and we would be calling, run. He's king, he is faithful, he's all in all. Trust him. 
Be patient. Keep trusting. Keep going. Maybe you'd say to yourself, hey, rest. Rest. Rest in him. Stop trying to keep him happy. He loves you. Stop trying to do things that he hasn't called you to do. Rest in him. And the thing is, it's not just about casting our minds forward and thinking about possible regrets and things that we might think then. Because Ephesians 2, 6 says that just as Christ was raised, he raised us up with him and seated us in him, in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, the people in the Hebrews story were looking forward. They didn't know a glorified Jesus. We know a glorified Jesus. We know that we have been raised up and seated with him. And we can stand knowing I'm surrounded by this cloud of witnesses as I actually have my home in heaven. I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. His grace and kindness is lavished on us already. So run. Run in it. Walk in it. Go for it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Praise God, that's ours. That's yours if you're in Christ. That assurance, that grace, that favour, that King of kings and Lord of lords. And in this series we've been looking at, go, what's the next step for me? I wonder if the next step for you is, is, is obvious to you. As you've been sitting here, you've been thinking, I've had a small picture of God and it's made me sit with fear. It's made me not do what I know I should be doing. And I know I need to step forward. I know I need to do that thing. Perhaps that's your next step, is to do exactly what you know God is putting his finger on this morning. Perhaps it's not clear to you, but if I were just to talk about fear and anxiety and anger or bitterness or sin, the things that slow you down, perhaps your next step is to bring those to God. Maybe to come to be prayed for in a moment and just confess I've been living with something that isn't of God and now I'm realising I need to trust that he's better than that and start walking forward from it. And lastly, perhaps your response is that actually I've never put my faith in this Jesus. I've never seen him to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords and today I see he's worthy of my life. It's what creation is about and I've been completely blind to it and now I see. And if you want to follow Jesus and Put your trust in him and run a race for him. And we would love to help you to do that. We'd love to introduce you to him. Please speak to myself or anybody at the prayer area. We would love to help you with that. Can we just stand? We're going to respond by singing to God. And I'll just pray as the band come in. Father, we, we're amazed that the King of heaven, the Lord of lords, being rejected by us, would make a way, a path for us to come back. What a loving God. What a glorious King we serve. 
Lord, we, we confess and we repent of where we see you as small. Or where we see you as inconvenient. Where we see you as a nuisance. We say, God, you're, you're mighty. You're worthy. You're the only one worthy. So, Lord, I pray, help us to be a people who understand what it is to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We want to grow in mature maturity into Jesus. We want to stand in faith. We want to see great things in our time in faith. We want to endure in faith. We want to be on our deathbed saying, I ran, I ran. Help us to help each other to stand up in the race when we fall down. Stand up, keep running, keep going. He's faithful, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.